<clears throat> excuse me, beg your forgiveness and indulgence a little bit this morning. I feel like I'm coming down with a cold, and there's a little bit more sniffling and <laughs> throat clearing than normal. Either that or it's just the weather's been wreaking havoc with my sinuses. In any case, bear with me. Um, I've been saying that we would begin a, a sermon series in Luke, talking about how the Word is shown to us in Luke. But I'm going to start this morning in John 1, which tells us about the Word, because there are some things in these opening verses that set the stage and provide kind of insight into the themes that we're going to see as we go through uh, the opening chapters of Luke. Normally when I start a sermon series, I like to pick something at the beginning of the book to introduce it. But I think because the, this series is going to be a little bit more conceptual, um, although I think very practical, um, I think we can derive some wonderful principles from these verses in John and then hopefully apply them uh, Remember them and apply them as we go through uh, the opening chapters of Luke. So this morning we'll be looking at John 1, verses 1 through 13. Let me read that for us. And again, a reminder that it's the word of the living God. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. And may he write it upon our hearts this morning. As we come before the word, let me lead us in a brief word of prayer. Let's pray together. Our God and Father in heaven, we ask your blessing that you would bless this time as we come before your word and that you would speak to us through your word. We ask that you would fulfill your promise, that your word goes out and does not return to you void, but accomplishes everything that you purpose for it. We ask that it would be successful in the things for which you send it. For us, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see and to open our ears to hear what you have for us this morning. And in so doing, that you would make your word a lamp to our feet and a light to our path that we may walk according to what it teaches us. Father, we ask all of this, as always, in the precious name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. There's a, a practice in, in music that goes back a long, long way. Formally, I know it goes back at least 
to the classical Baroque era, think the era of Bach and Handel for 350, 400 years ago. And what they would do is they would find something they liked in another composer's piece of music and just borrow it <laughs> and quote it. And that was considered a mark of respect, of honor. Today we would call that stealing or plagiarism. But back then it was considered a, a mark of respect. And there were various ways of doing that over the years. To make a, a more contemporary example, if you think of, say, hip-hop or rap today, we have this thing that's called sampling. And they'll pick out a part of another, another person's song. It could be a bass line. It could be a rhythm break. It could be some sort of vamp or something like that. And they'll use it in a new song and use it in a new way. In our day, because we like to sue each other, <laughs> there's all sorts of controversy about this. And there was a famous a lawsuit that was lost by someone uh, famous recently over this very issue. Both of those techniques use something that they pull out or quote from another piece of music and then do something different with it. In jazz, which is a genre of music I enjoy quite a bit, they took a somewhat different approach starting in the 40s and 50s to avoid some of this copyright issue. Poor musicians avoiding having to pay copyright fees to someone else. And what they would do is they'd think, man, I really like that song. I like the way it goes. I like the way it progresses. So they'd strip it of the melody, keep the harmonies that were going along, and just do something completely new and different over the top. Um, form the basis of a lot of, if you know jazz, bebop and, and eventually cool jazz as well. I bring those up because whether it's the Baroque, classical stuff, or the hip-hop rap of today, they take a simple approach. It's just take this and use it. Jazz is a little bit more sophisticated, or was, in its use. Let me take that and modify it. Let me take it and make it into something new and different. Keep the basic idea, but enhance it. Transform it. Expand the musical idea. That's an illustration or a metaphor or an idea that maybe might help us understand what's going on in John 1. Because John takes Genesis 1 and transforms it. <laughs> he doesn't just quote from it, although he starts by quoting from it. He takes that basic idea of God the Creator and transforms it into a whole new way of looking at things. It begins with that direct quote, in the beginning, just like the opening of Genesis. And it should remind us of Genesis. It should remind us of everything that's taught in Genesis 1. It takes us back to creation itself, God's work where he took, made everything that is out of nothing. All the lessons, all the ramifications, all the implications of Genesis 1 ought to be brought to our mind as we begin just the first few words of John's Gospel. In the beginning was. And the rhythm of Genesis 1, the evening and morning, God's creative words that are repeated, and God said, John takes that rhythm and transforms it, expands it. And God said becomes simply the word, the logos, 
It's transformed because now the Word is not God just speaking, but the Word is personal. The Word is active. The Word is powerful. The Word is a person. He. All things are made through Him. In Him was life, and this life is the light of men. This light shines in the darkness. Of course, there's also those themes of light and darkness. In the beginning, uh, the world was formless and void and darkness. And the light had to shine into the darkness. The very first thing that God creates is light to shine into the darkness. Now we have the light, which is the light of men. The light that brings life. Now there's a lot of lessons. You could, there are three, four, maybe five sermons in just these 13 verses here without being repetitive. So I just want to draw out some themes that will set the stage for going through Luke's gospel. There are three ideas here and a fourth that I'll kind of tack on at the end. Three ways in which John describes or shows us how the Word comes. Luke is going to show us these things in the life of Jesus. John describes them in beautiful, poetic prose. Three things. The Word comes, first of all, with power. The Word always comes with power. The second thing is the Word comes to reveal It's a revealing word, a revelatory word. It brings revelation. And the third thing is the word comes to compel. I almost used the word command, but that's not quite right. The word comes to compel. It compels a response. So I want to just look at those three ideas from John this morning And let those kind of seep in, I hope, and set the stage because we're going to see them repeatedly as we go through the opening chapters of Luke. The word comes with power. The word comes to reveal. And the word is compelling. Let's talk about the power of the word. John implies this just by the echo of Genesis 1. In the beginning was the word. Wow, the word. The powerful word of God that speaks and makes all things. And everything that we can learn about God from Genesis 1 is implied just in that opening six words in English. In the beginning was the word. Of course, it goes on and amplifies that and makes it more certain. God is the creator. God is sovereign. God is separate from his creation distinct from it. He brings order. He commands, go forth and multiply. Eat this, not that. So John tells us the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's no power, there's no might that's greater than God. And so the Word itself is intrinsically powerful, because it's God. It's omnipotent. It's mighty. But it's not just intrinsically powerful. The Word does powerful things. Verses 3 and 10 say it the same way. All things were made through Him. All things were made 
through the word. And if that's not clear enough, it said in verse 3 as well, there's not anything made that was made without the word. There's not one thing that exists without the power of the word bringing it into existence. So just look around the world. Look around the world we live in. Look at each other. Look at creation. Every single thing that we see everywhere, everything that we discover in science that we can't see with our own eyes, every single thing that exists is made through the word. We talk about the miracle of life, a new baby being born, or just trying to understand scientifically how does life exist versus non-life? Where did it come from? How did life emerge? Well, we know as Christians the answers to the questions the world asks. Life comes from the Word. It says so here. In Him, in verse 4, was life. And the life was the light of men. Life comes from the Word. How does that chair turn into something living? Well, it doesn't. But science is basically asking that question. How do inanimate things, proteins and this, that, and the other thing, amino acids, how do they become life? They don't know. We know. God spoke the Word. The Word made those things live. It's through the Word that you get life. The Word also drives away darkness. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And we get this conceptually. Have you ever tried to turn on darkness? It's nonsensical. You can't flip a switch and make darkness appear. You can't light a darkness candle. It doesn't work. Darkness only comes when light goes away. When the sun sets, when the candle is blown or snuffed out, or when the light is turned off. That is the word and its power. Wherever it is, it shines light. It brings life. Through it, all things are created. The word is powerful. The word comes with power. It acts with power. As we get into the series in Luke, we'll see this illustrated time after time in Jesus' ministry. We're going to see Jesus speak a word. Speak a word of, of healing, speak a word of rebuke. And immediately things happen. The Word is powerful. Jesus, the Word made flesh, is powerful. And there's some things we can learn from this. If you want to see change in the world around you, it's got to come through the Word. The only power that can bring about change is the power of the Word. As we've looked at recently, it's the only offensive weapon in the armor of God in Ephesians 6. That sword that comes out of the mouth of the Son of God, the Son of Man in Revelation. The Word comes and it makes things happen. We talk about how we want to see revival or conversion. We want to see people come to our churches. We can get people to, I know how to build a big church. But it's 
I don't want to do gimmicks or silly programs or things that have no power. It's not about building a big church. It's about building a church that's rock solid on the word. But the word comes and it makes things happen. It may not bring big numbers, but I know as the word goes out from this place, it affects us. It affects me. It affects you. It affects others who encounter what we do through the internet or other means. Faith, as we read from Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word. So we're not going to get people to become Christians through entertainment or gimmicks or other things. What about just dealing with sin? I, I hear so many Christians talk about how they struggle with sin. How can I gain victory? How can I deal with this? The only way to deal with the struggle is to go back to the Word continually. Look to it as a foundation, as a strength, as a weapon you can wield in your own heart against the sin that we all deal with. Again, gimmicks and reality, uh, gimmicks and, and various kinds of programs don't really deal with sin. Sin itself, at best, they can mask problems. And and as much help as they can give to people, something like a 12-step program doesn't really get to the heart of the issue. An alcoholic might learn not to take a drink, but it hasn't really dealt with the sin that causes the craving. Same with any other addiction. They're not really changed. In fact, they're told not to think of themselves as having changed. You begin every meeting by standing up and saying, Hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm still who I am, but I'm controlling it. There's like this struggle that goes on. And you'll hear the testimony of people who are struggling with addiction. It's a constant battle. One drink, one giving in to the addiction could ruin everything, cause it to crash and burn. Think of the baseball player for the Angels and what he's going through. But how much better than that is the transforming power of the Word of God accompanied by the Spirit that really can change us from our old creation into a new creation so that the temptation is going to remain. But we're not who we used to be. I've said this before. You, you walk with God. You walk with Christ. You're not who you were five years ago. And in five years, you won't be who you are today. We become different people. We learn. We grow. We get stronger. Instead of avoiding alcohol altogether, the alcoholic learns to drink in moderation without being addicted. A glutton can learn to eat food responsibly. The gambler learns how to play games without betting on them. <laughs> Look at the testimony of Rosaria Butterfield, the former lesbian who's now married and enjoying her relationship with her husband. She's still tempted, but it's the power of the gospel, the power of the word that changes things, transforms things. It's not stopping behavior and holding back the craving. It's the word that teaches us about sin and repentance and the powerful changing work of God in Christ through the Spirit. 
We're new creations. We can live. We have the power to live different lives in Christ. So think of any kind of change you want to see in society, in ourselves, in other people. The Word is the key. The Word is always the key. Make use of the Word. Learn it. Know it. Know what it teaches. Know how to apply it. Know how to speak it to people in various situations. And then trust. Have faith that the Word applied will work powerfully according to God's purpose and and will. It goes out. It does accomplish what He purposes. It's successful in the things for which He sends it. In you, in your spouse, in your children, in your family, friends, with each other in the church as we teach and admonish and disciple and discipline one another. And so learn to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. The Word is powerful. And we're going to see this over and over again in Luke's Gospel. The other thing the Word does is it reveals things. The Word can create everything. It can drive away darkness. It can change sinful men into obedient men and women, into followers of Jesus. It can take hearts of stone and change them into hearts of flesh. It can bring dead sinners to life. But it also comes and reveals things. Again, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and cannot overcome it. And we should take this metaphor for all its worth, all its implications. But it's also pretty simple. In the dark, you can't see things. (laughs) The light shines, you can see it. It's pretty clear what's being said here. The Word reveals things. It helps us see things. It helps us see things rightly. Maybe in that darkness we might sense or be able to make out a shape or something. The light shines and we realize it isn't anything what we thought it was. It also brings comprehension. brings understanding. deepens our awareness. And it says in verse 9 that it does this for everyone. The true light which enlightens everyone is what comes into the world. This is the Word. The Word enlightens everyone. We're going to see this also in, in Luke. Jesus is going to speak as a teacher. His teaching is going to bring understanding. And we're going to see the light go on in people as they realize who this man is. And what he's come to do. How we can think of this today, just the the revealing work of the word. Well, true wisdom and true understanding of things, ourselves, each other, the world around us, comes primarily from learning and knowing God's word. Think about reason. The enlightenment. The world adopting reason as the path to success, to peace, to progress in all things. And we've made progress scientifically, to be sure, but it's just made our wars more violent, destructive, and peace is still elusive. So recently we've abandoned reason for uncertainty, what's called postmodernity or post-foundationalism, the current age. You have truth, I have truth, and that's okay as long as you don't interfere with me and I don't interfere with you. 
long as you don't make me change my opinion, my behavior. The only thing allowed is people who think that's wrong. <laughs> if you think there should be or is only one kind of truth, well, then you're out because you're not playing by our new rules. So what do we do? Well, we don't enter into their game playing by their rules. I'm not going to appeal to reason. I'm not going to appeal to the philosophies and ideas of men. I'm going to appeal to God's word because the word comes with power and it comes to reveal, to bring understanding. The flawed nature of our thinking. Our minds are just as fallen. Our reason needs to be improved. Our minds need to be renewed, as scripture says. We need the Word to teach us. We need the Word to help us understand things. And it's not just a general thing about society, but it applies to each of us personally. The Word tells us how to live our lives with love, with humility, with grace, with faith. It tells us how to treat others with humble service, how to relate to others around us, to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice tells us how to live as a community of God's people, caring for one another, loving for one another, loving our neighbor. All these lessons and more from the Word, very practical, opening our eyes to how we should think and how we should live. Is there lack of understanding around us? Bring the light of the Word. Bring revelation. Bring understanding for yourselves and for others. It's only through the application of the word to our hearts and minds that true understanding comes. The reality, the depth, the serious consequences of our own sin is revealed to us. We understand and know the the need that we have to be rescued. And so we understand and hear and know and accept and trust in the rescue offered by God, through Jesus Christ. So we repent. We believe. We follow Jesus. Because understanding, true understanding has come. That only happens through the power of the word that reveals truth to us. Whether in general or personally. The word is also compelling. Another word I was trying to think of when I was thinking of the third concept was demanding. (laughs) But that sounds like a petulant child. The word is compelling. What I mean by that is when it comes with power to reveal, it compels everyone to respond to it. It compels a response. Either believe and live or reject it and die. Either accept it and live in the light or reject the word and remain in darkness. The word gives light to everyone, it says in verse 9, but not everyone is positively impacted, because it goes on to say that some reject the word given light. He was in the world, it says in verse 10, but the world, and even though the world was made, made through him, the world did not know him. The world was enlightened, He was revealed to the world, but the world rejected him. And then in verse 11, he came to his own, his own people, the Jews, the Israelites. 
his own people did not receive him. But it also says, going on, verse 12 and 13, to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The power of God to save, to reveal, to compel, to respond. Either reject it or receive it. John's pointing us to the message, the word of the gospel, the call of God to repent and believe. And we know some reject it, but we also know some receive it. That's the effect of the word when it goes out. To cause people to either, to compel them to hear it and make a choice to believe or to reject. Remain in darkness and death or receive it and live in faith and life. We're going to see this in Luke also. We're going to see as Jesus ministers to those around him, some who receive him with enthusiasm and others who can't believe or just outright reject him. In fact, we're going to see it in the opening chapter as the word comes to Zechariah and Mary, and their different responses to that word that comes to them. Again, how do we apply this? Well, if there's things we want to change, we've got to make use of the powerful word. If we want to bring understanding to those around us, we've got to use the revealing word. And the reason we do this is because this is how we compel people to make a choice. Again, it's not through gimmicks, it's not through slogans, it's not through advertising, it's not through entertainment, it's not through a sales pitch. The gospel is not a sales pitch. It's a powerful word that reveals sin, reveals salvation, and says, come. Come. Follow Jesus. Make a choice. There are those around us who are on the sidelines well, they're in darkness, but they have not yet rebelled, at least willfully. Many of them are without understanding. So we need to bring understanding to them through the powerful word. And they will respond. We know some will respond in faith. We know some will reject it. Because the word will reveal that choice and the necessity of that choice to them. And we'll see who is on God's side and who is not on God's side. Who is with us and will join us in our struggle to obey and to serve and to come alongside each other and help us, each other in our walk of faith. And we'll see who's going to hinder us. Who's going to stand in our way. Who's going to seek to divert us from that way. Who's going to actively hinder us from that way or even make use of persecution and tribulation. We look around the world and we see complacency. We see complacency in the church. I see it every day in the churches that I work with. We see it in presbytery. We see it in general assembly. We see it in the news. What a complacent world that we live in. Well, do we want people not to be complacent? Bring them the word because it will force them, compel them to respond. 
Does it bother us that self-proclaimed believers in God don't live like it or think like it or speak like it? They Christians need the word as much as anybody to compel us to respond so that we either grow in faith or we fall away and die like the seeds scattered on dry ground. The word is so compelling that when it comes, people can't stay where they are. They'll either harden their hearts in rebellion or they will turn their hearts and minds to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, obedience and love. The word is powerful. It reveals. It compels. But that fourth other thing, the word is a person. (laughs) The word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. The word comes also as a person, as Jesus Christ, with God, who was God. Think about this. By Jesus, all things were made. In Jesus is life. Jesus is the light of men. Jesus drives away darkness. We can't think about the word without thinking about Jesus himself. Without Jesus, we've just got empty theories and moral ideas about good and bad. Just theories, just philosophies. Without Jesus, we've got the burden of law-keeping. That's what Paul is writing to the Romans. We know how to, how to be righteous according to the law. Keep it perfectly. Sorry, not interested, because I can't do it. Without Jesus, we're without hope. The word comes with power. A child conceived by God, born of a virgin. That's power. The word comes to reveal. You want to know what righteous living looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what holiness looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to know how it looks to treat your neighbor? Look at Jesus. How to love how to serve, how to lead, how to teach, how to minister. Look at Jesus. The word comes with a very compelling call. Jesus says, follow me. Repent and believe. Again, over the next few weeks, God willing, we'll see these truths in Luke's gospel, these Wonderful stories he gives us of the life and ministry of Jesus. John tells us why he wrote his gospel. Chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life. Luke also tells us why he wrote his gospel. To his friend, Theophilus, God-lover. He wrote it so that his friend might have certainty regarding the things that he had been taught. Luke 1, verse 4. My hope is as we go through this series that there will be a similar kind of effect, that as we see the Word made flesh in the person and work of Jesus, those who do not believe might believe, and as John says, have life in his name. But as Luke says, for those of you who do believe, that you will become more certain of, more confident of, 
your faith in the things that you believe in and have been taught. And that ultimately, the name of Jesus, the Word of God, will be lifted up and glorified for all to see, for all to hear, for all to choose. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, thank you, especially that the word did become flesh, dwell among us with glory full of grace and truth, that the word died for us, took our sins upon himself so that we might have life in him and life eternal. We pray that you would send out your word even today in our day and age, in our time, in our community, in our nation. Send your word with power to reveal truth to those who read it and hear it and to compel a change. We pray that the response would not be rejection, but that the response would be repentance and faith and that these changed hearts would rise up and live for you and themselves be witnesses and salt and light for those around them, for your glory, for your honor. Father, we pray all these things through Christ, our elder brother, in the power of the Spirit. Amen.